Hello everyone, Rob Guest from Football.London here and welcome to the latest episode of Gold and Guest Talk Tottenham, sponsored by NordVPN. On today's podcast, we're going to be discussing Tottenham's nil-nil draw against Eintracht Frankfurt in the Champions League and also looking ahead to Saturday's Premier League clash away at Brighton and Herve Albion. Before that though, we've got some really, really sad news to discuss on the pod and that is the death of Tottenham fitness coach Gian Piero Ventrone. There was news coming from Italy uh, early this morning about his death and then Tottenham confirmed it at 10am and it's just a really, really big shock and something no one was expecting. Uh, Alistair Gold is joining me on the podcast as ever. Ali, I mean, this is it's just awful news. Oh, it's terrible. Gian Piero Ventrone, he was... Only 61 is going to be 62 in December. Uh, it's no age at all whatsoever. And yeah, players kind of woke up to the news this morning um, that he'd passed away. Obviously, we're all preparing as Antonio Conte was for, a, for his, he was for training, but also for press conference today as well. And obviously, that's all been cancelled in the circumstances. Just absolutely awful. I mean, he, he hadn't been well Um in the kind of recent days, but I don't think, from what I understand, nobody, the players, staff, anyone at that club were aware of how serious it was until they returned back to UK soil um, on Wednesday after the Frankfurt game. And then obviously they awake to that news this morning. It's just oh, such a horrible, horrible thing. I mean, we've had uh, leukemia in our family, but not this kind of acute leukemia, which just sounds so quick and aggressive and just just horrible. Um, and yeah, a lot of shock. You can sense it around talking to people around the club. And he was such uh he was adored. He really was for a guy that put these players through <laughs> the most torturous training sessions. They every single one to a man absolutely adored him. And I know you've been kind of collating a lot of the tributes today for him from those players. I mean, what kind of stuff has, has been coming out of them? I think what you can see from it is just like how much he meant to them. Uh, I mean, he's, a, he's only been working at the club since November when obviously Conte came in and then one of the tributes from Richarlison, who only joined Tottenham at the what, start of July. And yeah. Richarlison's just said he was just already such a huge inspiration to him. Uh he said he'd help him a lot during the season and basically what he was telling him was always keep your head up no matter what the circumstances. And yeah, I mean, he's absolutely devastated. Even joked in his tribute as well that Gian Piero used to, you know, say to him that they've both got the same colour hair now after okay. he dyed it white. Uh, Harry Kane labelled him as a, a truly remarkable man. He says his words and wisdom will live on with him for the rest of his life. Emerson, he says, basically, he just can't even express in words the pain in his chest at the moment. Uh, Son, as well, he's basically said the same. He just can't put into words his gratitude uh, to him and how much he owes him. He was certainly loved. I know, like you, you said, he really put them through it in training but they loved him. And that's just clear to see from the tributes. Yeah. And I think from what I get a sense from kind of having spoken to people, because we, we did quite a lot of him um, about him in, in South Korea, because obviously quite famously, we saw Harry Kane being sick by the side of the pitch and Sonny pretty much falling to his knees on the floor because of the training session. So we, we were doing stuff on him and actually we wanted to talk to him. We kind of wanted to do the, the group of journalists out there. We wanted to try and do an interview with him. But I think Conte kind of wanted to keep him as his, his little secret weapon, as it were, behind the scenes, which he very much was, which is understandable as well. But he seemed perfectly kind of pleasant. Every time we kind of crossed paths with him anywhere we're at, we'd always say hello as he walked by. He seemed a very congenial guy. And from uh, genial guys, sorry, from the players that, you know, everything they say, it sounds, and the staff as well, to be fair. And we're not just talking about playing stuff, but non-playing staff behind the scenes. It sounds like he was the kind of guy that would just want to know about you, stop and chat and see how you were. And, and he'd, he'd worked around the world. He'd worked in Asia. He'd worked in, um, 
I think France and Spain as well. And obviously in Italy, he was part of the Marcello Lippi kind of glory years, as it were, at Juventus. And also when Lippi went to Italy and won the World Cup, he was part of that as well. And he helped a very young Antonio Conte, who's taken his kind of early coaching steps at Siena as well. So he's a guy that had been around the world. He'd seen a lot. He had a lot of wisdom. Um, despite the fact that he was, you know, like I say, 61, he's still not that old in relative terms at all. But he had a lot of this kind of wisdom to impart. And I think he just felt it was his kind of duty, I guess, to just talk to all of these players and see how they were and treat them as very much as humans and people and not just these kind of objects that he was having to train into the almost like machines. And they respected that. And that's, I guess that's the key, isn't it? If for a guy who was called Professor Marine, um, you know, because of his background, he didn't actually treat them like kind of any like army recruits or navy recruits or anything like that. He he very much treated them as human. I think that's probably why he got so much success out of players, because they appreciated what he was doing for them was from a good kind of it was coming from a good place. It wasn't just to absolutely tear them apart. Um and honestly, all of them, and, and even players that have gone, I saw um, Tongi Ondimbele on his Instagram as well, has like put up a little kind of thing to him as well on his Instagram story, just you know, just acknowledging his passing and how sad it was and then praying for him and all of that. And just everyone, I think Galini also put up a bit. I mean, obviously... Galini's was really good. Uh, yeah. Basically, he says he was a real and authentic man in a game full of fake men. And it basically, it was just a privilege and honour to work with him during his journey. But that was a, a really good one from, from him. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. That seems to be it, isn't it? It's genuine. Um, and, and honestly, just looking at his... Um, his own Instagram story because his family have put like, a little post up there to let everyone know what's happening in the hospital where people can kind of go there and, and, and pay their respects outside and also his funeral, which will be in Napoli as well. And, and actually I looked it up, looked up the church that it's going to be at. It's got the most stunning view across like Mount Vesuvius and all that. And it just seems a incredibly fitting place to, which I'm sure will be an absolutely packed funeral as well to pay respects to someone that touched the lives of so many people. Um, yeah, it's just honestly, I think we're all still trying to process it. It's just so unexpected today. We just weren't expecting anything like that, and neither were the players. Um, but I think, you know, if you've got to take things from this, it's clearly the legacy that he's leaving behind. Because let's even just, I mean, without looking at the titles and World Cup and things he'd done in the past, purely as a Spurs perspective, what he did with the fitness of that team from November until the end of that season. They finished that season as one of the fittest teams in that league. And he was doing that without a pre-season. He was doing that in any sessions around it with his other fitness coaches as well. And they were finishing the season in those second halves of matches stronger than any other team pretty much they were playing. And that is testament to everything he did. Um, and I looked back and when, he, uh, when Conte first joined, uh, Spurs did... Like uh, they did a little video of one of the meetings before he signed his contract, and in it, Conte's kind of talking about his coaches and who he wants to bring in. And he said, "Then there is GM Piero Ventroni." He's talking to Daniel Levy as he says this. GM Piero Ventroni. I had him as a fitness coach when I was a player. For me, he is the top, top physical coach. He kind of how, puts his hand out to kind of signify at the top, and he said he is a great person. I just don't think you can probably get a better. Um, kind of tribute to a man than Antonio Conte. And, and that seemed to be a theme as well. As the players that he worked with, you'd think would hate him forever because <laughs> of the things he put them through on the training pitches. You know, there were stories of um, Gianluca Vialli, wasn't it? Locking him in a cupboard and calling the police because he was so angry at the training sessions. But actually, a lot of those players not only loved him at the time, but then wanted to work with him later. I think he helped out, is it Cannavaro, when he was out in... China, I think it was. Might have been, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think when he was in early stages of his coaching career, he did that as well. And obviously, like I say, Conte was Siena, and then all these years later, he's brought him to Tottenham as well. Um, clearly is just one of the utmost figures in the, the fitness, sports fitness world, because even I saw Juventus put out a very kind of uh, classy statement as well. And in that, they mentioned about... Um, just how close he always was to the cutting edge of fitness as well and all the techniques. 
you know, despite the fact that, you know, maybe, although I say relatively uh, young at 61 for what's obviously awfully happened to him, in football, you know, with a lot of these kind of new techniques and the younger fitness coaches coming through, maybe he would have been seen as a kind of the older generation. But from everything that's said, it sounds like he was a guy who absolutely embraced every possible new cutting-edge technique to get the very most out of players. And, you know, and that's... And that's the legacy he leaves behind. And I hope you'd imagine that a lot of those staff at Spurs that have worked with him will be in the same department as him will now have to kind of pick up the pieces, as it were, and, and, and take everything on um, without him. Hopefully, they would have learned so much that it'll inspire this kind of new generation of, of fitness coaches there as well. Because, yeah, it's going to make a big impact at that club. Uh, really is. It, it's taking one of the most renowned fitness coaches out of it. And I mean, I'm talking on the pitch and off the pitch because of how much he meant to those players. And uh, yeah, yeah, it's, it's a tough thing to rebound from. It really is. But um, hopefully, it's, you know, it's just the way life works, I guess, is that they've kind of going to have to, the schedule is not going to allow them to kind of really mourn at all. It, it's, they're very much going to have to get on with things, which is uh, a very cold way of dealing with stuff. But I don't know. You know, I can't say I knew him well enough, but you'd imagine that he's the kind of guy that would want them to just to crack on and and, and do what they do because that's exactly what he was always preparing them for. Yeah. Uh, I mean, Richarlison even said himself in his tribute that they're going to continue to play for him. And then that's, that's what they will be doing this weekend, making sure they get the three points on the board. And about the difference in levels between when Conte came in uh, the start of last November and then the end of the season even in like the first three weeks four weeks you could just see how much they jumped up because I'm sure they weren't they around the bottom in terms of fitness levels when Nuno was manager yeah. and then like a month later they were at the top they were running more than ever during games and I can remember Conte's first home game against Vitesse uh, in the Conference League and at that time we weren't allowed in press conferences we had to do it on zoom and so we're all sat outside uh, in the press box at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium and usually you'd see you know the players having a bit of a warm down but this was the first one under Ventrone and he absolutely flogged them <laughs> I mean there was players like Joe Roden, Stephen Bergwijn, uh, Tongi on the belly and Giovanni Lo Celso was the unused subs and then the subs who came on late on and he was really putting them through the paces and, you know, that only benefited them in the long run. It certainly helped Tottenham and he's just going to be a huge loss to everyone connected with the club. I was just going to say very quickly, just just the relationships he had with Sonny, like the Sonny relationship was something special as well. I mean, we saw that, that kind of, when Sonny uh, gave him that big embrace after those three goals against Leicester. And this is what's so scary about how quick everything was. You know, he, we saw him there at the side of the pitch after Leicester and, and hugging Sonny after the hat-trick. Um, and it was all because he'd had a little chat with him that morning and just essentially just reassured him and just said, look, you know, essentially everything's fine. You, you, you're going to be good. It's just this little kind of tough spell. And, and lo and behold, as soon as he got that three goals, he had the match ball in his hand. And one of the first people who goes over to the final whistle is Ventroni. And they shared that really lovely moment. Um, and I think he will. He, he's left that mark on some of those big players. Harry Kane has, has said in the past that he's the fittest he's ever been in his career. Um, and he left, obviously, a nice post as well today about him as well. Uh, they, a lot of them called him Prof didn't they, as in yeah. for Professor. It seems to be the nickname Prof. Um, yeah, yeah. Incredibly sad. Incredibly sad. But, you know, what a remarkable legacy he leaves behind. Yeah, right. Uh, let's move on to the Eintracht Frankfurt draw on Tuesday in the Champions League. Spurs had a number of chances in the game. Just couldn't take them. Reminded me quite like the Spartan game a few weeks before. I don't think they were as, as bad as some people were making out. Had opportunities to win, just in the final third, just struggled again. Yeah, I think it was an improvement on the North London derby, which I know isn't hard, but it was. Um, apart from those 20 minutes before half-time at the Emirates. I'd say, I'd probably say they controlled the game a little bit better than they even did against Sporting. 
I felt like Sporting had their little moments and chances where I didn't feel like, other than that one kind of volley on the slide um, Lloris had to save, I don't really remember um, Frankfurt having to do have, having too much of a threat in front of goal. Um, yeah, Spurs did well in that respect. It was just the same old problem of the final pass was just horrendous from Tottenham. It was so so bad. Um, I know they miss Kulusevski enormously, but you know we're talking about three players in Son, Kane, and Richarlison who you know they know how to play a pass. Really. It's like we're, we're not making out their cloggers who just happen to be only good at scoring goals up front. Um, they definitely know what they're doing in terms of um, playing a through ball or two. And it just, yeah, it, it was a funny one because I don't know about you, but I there were some opinions after the game where everyone thought, there seemed to, I say everyone, social media seemed to pin a lot of the blame on Son. Whereas actually, I felt the opposite. Is I actually felt he was the brightest out of the three players and was causing the most threat. And he had a couple of you know opportunities set up for it. There was one lovely cross in for, I think Romero just got a touch on it and Kane couldn't quite get it back. And then obviously that fizzed-in ball along the six-yard box to Kane, which was just probably the wrong height, unless he wanted to put it in with a painful part of his anatomy. Um, and I kind of felt that it, Son's main problem was when dribbling, uh, for some reason, his touch wasn't great. He was losing the ball a couple of times that. But I looked up the passing rates. Um, I think Richarlison was 60% passing. Kane was 61% success rate with his passing, and Son was 84%. So I, I wouldn't chuck Son in there as like being a reason for anything. Um, but I just, yeah, it just doesn't click. And do you know what? I'm going to put it out there, and I think I might have said this before, but I still yet to see that trio as, as being a, a functioning trio at the moment. I just wonder whether... There's too many similarities in there, and they just don't have enough. Um, I don't want to say je ne sais quoi. A little bit different thing that um, Kulusevski brings to it. Well, I think what I've seen from them when they have played together, the link-up's been good, but it will be between two of them rather than all three together. I mean, we saw that on Tuesday. There was uh son when he stepped over the ball for richarlison and he played it into him and then i think that was when the cross came in for kane uh yeah i've seen good link up at times between them uh in twos but just not as a free i think they definitely miss dane kulosevsky and i think spurs certainly need him back sooner rather than later but on sonny in terms of tuesday at frankfurt i think if you look at all spurs best chances son was always involved in them yeah. Put the cross in what Kane and Romero couldn't get on the end of. Put in the cross uh, what obviously Kane was narrowly, uh, he was close to getting on it. Just probably a bit of an awkward height for him. Uh, then Kane and Song link, linked up twice. They both had chances each. Kane's went narrowly wide. I think Son's went, was it wide maybe? And then in the second half, Son had a shot after Richarlison teed him up what went wide so the opportunities were certainly there for Spurs uh yeah I, I thought Son did okay like he says maybe with his dribbling maybe the final ball at times but it's still it a confidence issue with him I think at times yeah and I think everyone probably thought that's just gone now because of the hat-trick against Leicester yeah. and having such a good international break uh you know if the chances are there on Tuesday Again, you, I think you'd back him and, you know, Kane and Richarlison to take them because I think when they look back at Tuesday, I think they'll see it as a missed opportunity uh, given the opportunities that were there for them for, throughout the course of the 90 minutes. Yeah. Yeah, it was, uh, it was difficult. I mean, Conte afterwards was quite... He felt... He said it kind of uh, increased his confidence. He was kind of happy with the performance. He felt it was moving in the right direction. I'd probably agree with that. It wasn't always the most thrilling game to watch. Um, but I did feel, in terms of being a professional performance in front of a very noisy crowd, um, in a place that a lot of Bundesliga experts kind of say is a really tough place to go um, in that league, yeah, I'd, I'd say they did their job then. I thought intensity was high. There was a lot of pressing as well across the pitch, which was good. 
It was just, yeah, just lacking that kind of fluency up front um, in their play together. So, yeah, I think there were positives to take. Um, some negatives. Hugo Lloris is kicking once again. I don't know what's happened there. I know it's something that he's not renowned for being great at, but I was even watching him warming up before the game. Uh, Brandon Austin, Fraser Forster, and Savarini, the um, coaching uh, goalkeeping coach, were working with him on his kicking. They were all standing in different parts of the pitch, and he was having to play low kicks, high kicks, chipped balls, all of this. Absolutely fine. Getting to the game situation, he's slicing them all over the place. And there was that one he passed to Romero. I think everyone in the press box was like, no, no, not there. Don't pass it there, kind of thing. And it's like put him in all kinds of problems. Um, I think the guy shot over, didn't he? I think the ball eventually kind of came back to uh, um, their their attacker and the ball went over. So, yeah, it did have its issues like that. Um, and oh, it's just... It's just so strange with Lloris. He can do something wonderful kind of with his hands uh, and show why he's one of the top goalkeepers. And he can do something with his feet that just makes him look really inexperienced and naive. It's really, really odd. It's like two different parts of a human body have been stitched together. Um, like Dr. Frankenstein has got involved. But um, yeah. Yeah. Other than that, I thought there was some... Uh, yeah, interesting. I didn't think even Perisic had a great game. I thought he was probably the quietest I've seen him in a Spurs game so far. There's this theory um, in South Korea, which South Korean fans often kind of uh, put tag me in on um, on various forms of social media, that even Perisic is responsible essentially for the downfall of uh, Son Heung-min this season. Um which I wouldn't agree, I wouldn't agree with. What I would agree with, I don't think their partnership has clicked yet. I do agree with that. I don't think they're linking up particularly well yet, which is why when let's say Ryan Session he came on in Frankfurt and within about sixty seconds had crossed for Son to just like hit a shot wide. Um, so obviously I do think there's that knowledge of each other that Session and Son have, um, and maybe a little bit of. Session will always look for Son as the kind of more experienced man, whereas maybe Perisic will look at all the options. Perhaps I don't know, um, but yeah, I think that's something that come I, I, will come. I don't think that's it is a case of Perisic is the bringer of doom for Sonny. Um, I do think Sonny has to take some responsibility. I don't think he's been at his top of his game this season. He's admitted that himself. Um, but yeah, I don't think Perisic um, probably deserves that tag. But what do you think of that kind of? Well, both wing-backs, I guess. Um, I'll let you talk about Emerson. Um, <laughs> both wing-backs <laughs> on the day. Well, I think with Perisic, uh, obviously, in terms of developing a partnership with a player, you've got to give them time. It's just not going to happen straight away. What are we, 10, 11 games into his Tottenham career? You, you need time. Yeah, you, you can get players who just, you know, click straight away and it's almost like a telepathic understanding, but that's not always the case with everyone. So you, you've got to give that uh, a bit of time. But yeah, then, as you mentioned, Sessignon has played with Son for quite a bit of his Tottenham career. Uh, so yeah, that understanding is going to be there. Then that's just, you just got to be patient. In terms of the right side, to be honest, I thought like Emerson started really well, made some really good runs, uh, notably the one when Eric Dyer picked him out with a brilliant long-range pass and Emerson volleyed over and then... His movement some is more... so good. This is yeah. what I find so frustrating, is that attacking-wise, he's actually got a really clever brain for when to make those runs. He's really good at it. It's just what happens when he gets the ball, unfortunately. Yeah, and he linked up well with Richarlison, on a couple of times, I think there was one yeah. towards the end of the first half when Emerson put the ball in when Perisic had the shot just deflected wide of the yeah. far post. Is that so. nutmeg pass from Richarlison to him? I yeah. Think it was, yeah. yeah. So Emerson, you know what you're going to get with him. Uh, you know, he's defensively good. He will get forward, but he's then to play in the final third, what lets him down at times. But I think there's certainly been an improvement in him this season. And I think that's why he's been starting the games and the others haven't. Uh, but in order for Tottenham to really flourish, 
in the Conte system. Wing backs are so important. You need to be getting it out of uh, both of them. If you know Spurs are going to get back to the free flowing best like they were last season. Uh, but going to be interesting to see, obviously, who comes into the team at Brighton on Saturday. Obviously, we'll get into that in a bit, but I think there's probably got to be a bit of a change there. Well, there certainly has anyway, because Emerson was suspended. Were you surprised at the fact that you started with the same lineup as the North London derby? Yeah, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I think we all were, weren't we? I think everyone was. I I don't think it was ever going to be wholesale changes. You're expecting like one or two, maybe three at the absolute maximum. But what he was saying when he was speaking to BT Sport beforehand was basically... He, he thought that was the best solution going into the game to start with the same 11 players, whether it was just giving them another chance to show an improved performance or he just believes that is his best 11 and he's going with that. Uh, that might very well be the case, but no, I think he, he said it, he said numerous times before the international break that given the amount of games coming up over the next five or six weeks, that there's got to be rotation and, now you're thinking, well, where's this rotation going to come? Because Spurs need to win at Brighton on Saturday in order to keep pace at the top. They need to win against Frankfurt if they've got any chance of going through in the Champions League. Then you've got Everton and Manchester United after that. So where's this rotation going to come from? Is yeah. I, I mean, these going to have to be rotation against Brighton. As I was saying, Emerson's suspended, but it needs to be more than one change. In, it just needs freshening up just to keep everyone, you know, fit and on the toes. Yeah, well, this was the thing as well. Was after the game, he was Jack Pitbrook from the Athletic kind of asked him about, um, you know, whether he felt he had enough options and things like that. And and obviously that was the catapult for uh, Conte to then talk about needing a bigger squad and all of this. But if I'm you know, everyone that's covered him at every club he's been at has said that at some point he asked for a bigger a bigger squad. That's just what he does um, because he wants kind of more options. But then what I would say is it's very difficult, I'd imagine, as someone looking to supply him with those extra options when they see he's not even using the options he currently has. It's a really difficult ask, isn't it? It's, um, yeah, I mean, you know, you've, you've brought in one of the best Premier League midfielders of the last couple of years in Yves Basuma. And he's played like just minutes here and there. Um, and I understand completely, you know, he's saying he's not into his, uh, not taking on his tactical stuff quite as much yet and things like that. And, and I think he kind of criticised the defensive side of his game. But what I would say is those who kind of watched him at Brighton said that his defensive side of the game was one of his best parts of his, his game at Brighton. And I don't know. I just wonder whether sometimes you need to be in match situations also to really understand uh, these what's being asked of you as well. And yeah, I just found that when he started to say that in the press conference, I just felt a little bit like, oh, you know, how can you be asking for a bigger squad when you're not even using the... Let's be honest, his squad is big enough now. It's two players in every position. I'd imagine he's really means quality rather than quantity. That's what I can only imagine. But yeah, it's a very awkward ask, I think, when you're not really utilising what you've got right now. Um, it's kind of like asking for a bigger garage for your car when you don't even park it in there kind of thing. It's just, I don't know, it's just, it's, it didn't quite sit right. Um, and uh, yeah, and, and this is like you, I'm fascinated to see what happens at Brighton now because I do think Brighton's going to be such a big test. There's almost a part of me that thinks, does he now, because there's an extra day to recover, isn't there, Tuesday to Saturday, than what they've just had, does he maybe think to himself, maybe I make one, possibly two changes, because obviously, like you say, Emerson has to come out, but then I make more changes for the home game against Frankfurt because they handled Frankfurt so well that you'd think at home will be an easier proposition. It's not always the way, but you'd think on paper, our favourite expression, it would be. Um so maybe that's the one he makes the changes in. But then on the flip side to that, I then worry that Brighton, with their fresh legs against players that have played three times in seven days, they could have a field day. Um, for me, I think that's the game you have to bring Basuma in. If there's ever a game that's against your old team on a pitch that he's incredibly comfortable with, um, 
But then do you, here's a question to you, do you go 3-5-2? Do you go 3-4-3? Because don't forget those three attacking players will have played every single game as well this week. Um, but also can Bentoncourt and Hoybier play another game kind of thing? You know, would you maybe put Skip and Basuma with one of them, like Hoybier, let's say, let them do the running? I don't know. It's it's a tough one, that. I think looking at Brighton's formation against Liverpool, it was a 3 4 3. So maybe you do go and match up with them. Uh, maybe it's, it's a big talking point at the moment, especially with the fans. Obviously, I think a number of them wanting to go 3 5 2. In terms of the options available to Conte at the moment, he's certainly missing Kulisevsky and Lucas. He said how important like Lucas is to him. And then if you look at the bench from Tuesday, it's extremely defensive. There's just not a lot of attacking options at the moment. There's obviously Brian Hill, who we are going to discuss in a minute. He came on. Obviously, even Perisic can move forward. But other than that, there's just not a right lot of uh, attacking options on the bench. Uh, when Spurs have played 3-5-2, it has worked well. I think Leicester away, Liverpool at home, and then... Leicester at home for the final 20 minutes or so uh, last month. So, yeah, it's a big, a big decision. But the thing is, in terms of bringing the players into the team, like Skip, Basuma, Doherty, whoever else, they've not actually played a lot of minutes this season. So they're not going to be match sharp. So, yeah, really interesting one. But if Brighton are going with 3 4 3, then maybe just match match them again yeah I think so would you put um, Brian Hill into that team no I'd, I'd keep it <laughs> that was very quick <laughs> no no I'd, I'd keep it how it is I think obviously everyone wants Dane Kulisewski back uh, very very soon because he just makes Tottenham click and you can see when he's absent from the team just how important he is uh, to the starting eleven, you know, he played a major role in Spurs getting the Champions League finished last season and start the season where he left off really with, you know, uh, some goals and assists. Uh, but if, it's, if he's not back or he's not near enough 100% fit, then I think you probably go with uh, the same front three in terms of Brian Hill. I think it's just a case of, you know, just easing him into it. I don't think he's probably ready for a full 90 minutes yet, but I'd certainly say he needs a lot more minutes than he got on Tuesday against Frankfurt. I think it was 12 minutes. It'll take a player a good 10 minutes or so just to get up to the speed of the game. Uh, I know he saw a lot of the ball and he was knocked off, knocked off it a few times and gave it away, but the one thing Brian Hill needs is minutes on the pitch if he's, you know, get back to the levels he was showing at Valencia last season and when he was previously at Sevilla, but I don't think Conte is going to give him those minutes. Uh, I think he's got an idea of his first choice eleven, and you know the players after that who will come into the team, and you know Brian Hill is what the sixth attacking option. Uh, now for me, for I've got one question. Go for on. you. It might be a brutal one. So in February. Conte said that he, uh, Brian Hill, was he essentially, how do I put this, he very strongly suggested that Brian Hill was not suited to the Premier League and, you know, the physicality of it and all of that. Should Brian Hill, or I guess has Brian Hill, in the last eight months done enough physically to prepare himself for the Premier League? Well, we've seen him post things on Instagram uh, where it's like in the weights room or whatever at training grounds, whether that was at Valencia last season or Spurs. So it's, I think he's probably been working on it, but he's still so slight, isn't he? He's, uh, he's, he's not really built for it uh, at the moment. The but... I don't think it's a height thing because that's the thing. I don't, because some people say, oh, he's too small. I don't think that's okay. We've seen like Luka Modric, one of the best players yeah. in the Premier League. He was not a big player. I remember Harry Redknapp being worried about playing him in the centre of the pitch and kind of shoving him out wide until he had no choice. I think it was against Stoke, but to play him in the middle and he ran the game. I just, that was my fear when I saw Brian Hill. It was a bit like, I hadn't seen him in a while other than Korea when no doubt he was one of the fittest players. I just kind of watched him come on and I kind of thought, 
don't doesn't look like you've really bulked up. Doesn't look like, and this I know sounds ridiculous to be looking at people's legs, but it's like it didn't. Have, you know, we're talking about like Roberto Carlos thighs, kind of. Luka Modric had kind of big thighs, and that was what made him so difficult to get the, the ball off of him as well and knock him off the ball. And I just that was my only concern as a big Brian Hill fan, who I think he's going to be an incredibly talented young player. I don't feel like he's done enough to change Conte's mind. That's my only fear. I think, for me, he's got to be given more playing time in order, you know, to get used to the demands of the Premier League or Champions League. Ten minutes isn't enough. As I was saying, it will take you a good ten minutes just to get up to the speed of the game. And you can't expect someone to come onto the pitch and just be an absolute world-beater in, inside ten minutes. It's just, it's just not going to just time stop him getting knocked off the ball? Well, he needs playing time to get used to it, but yeah, he needs to bulk up as well, clearly, then, as well. Just a little uh, bit. I mean, it will affect his running style, so I guess you can't do too much, but yeah, I just just, just disappointed me slightly. As, as someone that's kind of had his back, as it were, he kind of came out. He had that nice moment, didn't he, down the um, when he came back and tracked back. That was very good. Yeah, he did, uh, in a tight position in his own corner, Great bit of skill uh, to get out of it. He, he saw quite enough of the ball, you know. He was on it quite a bit, but just gave it away a, a few times and just got knocked off it. But the worry for him is as soon as Kulisewski and Lucas Mora come back, his playing time goes. And it's yeah. only really what you're thinking, the Carabao Cup tie away at Forest in November, where he could potentially start a game. Because I th- for me, I think... Group D in the Champions League is going to go right to the wire. Looking how close the table is at the moment, sporting on six points, uh, Spurs and Frankfurt on four, Marseille on three. I know if Spurs win their next two home games, they're going to put themselves in a really good position, but even still, they might go into the last game needing the point to go through. And then Conte is not going to make us wholesale changes for that. So now I worry about him. But then it's we've we've said it loads of times. If he's going out and loan, he needs to go to the Premier League just to get used to it. Yeah, but, I thought Conte's quotes were quite interesting, and he said, "You know, we wanted to send him on loan to Valencia, but circumstances didn't allow it." And it was a bit like I, I think we've kind of maybe said this before, but how can you not have brought in even a temporary kind of attacking player? just for maybe on loan for the season, like they did with Longley at the back, just to fill that gap. Because I just don't think keeping Brian Hill at the club has done any good for Brian Hill or his development, has done any good for Conte, who really, he says he trusts him, but I don't think he really does. Um, and also for the club itself, it's such a weird scenario. I'm not sure how it was allowed to happen. Yeah, yeah, bit of a strange one. I think like, Everyone expected him just to go out the door and then it just got to deadline day. Then it just became clear, no, you're not going anywhere. No one's coming in. No one's going out. So, yeah. I think guarantees a January incoming though, doesn't it? Because he's clearly going to have to go on loan in January. Yeah, I think he's just probably counting down the days now until January, you know, to get, to get out. Because obviously, well, just over a month away from the World Cup starting, as well, yeah. he's, better, he's just not going to play any minutes at all, really. He could have been there. You know, he was in, he got into that Spain squad, which was probably so frustrating for him. He probably felt he'd maybe gone to Valencia and started the season really well. Maybe he would have forced himself in there. I don't know. But yeah, that's got to be so disappointing. At least he's young, so he'll have other chances. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, you know, he's an extremely talented player. He just needs just needs the playing time really to show how how good he can become. Right. So obviously nil nil draw against Frankfurt, two home games coming up against Sporting, uh, Frankfurt and then Sporting. You know, do you think it'll go down to the wire as well, Group D? Or do you think Spurs can get it done beforehand? I think they can take charge now with these two home games. I must admit, it got to the final whistle and I was kind of finishing off my stuff that I was writing before I went down to the first conference. And I looked at the table, I was like, oh, it's still second. <laughs> I actually didn't realise how tight it was in there. Um, I guess, you know, 
the result earlier in the day had kind of affected that as well. But yeah, I was, I am, I do think that. I think if they can go on now, take charge. These are two home games. Let's be honest, they should win. They're against teams that away from home, they should have won. Um, but they just kind of didn't pull the trigger at one end of the pitch, really. Um, so you'd think at home it would be a different scenario with the with the full crowd for the Champions League games as well. Um, I, I I think by that Marseille, I'm trying to work out points wise how. Um, I'm just going to look at the table now, so I can kind of work out. So let's say Spurs were to get another six points, which would put them up to ten. They're playing the two teams either side of them as well. Uh, I think they'd be in a pretty dominant position there to go up. Um, it'd be top two go up, wouldn't it? Yeah. I'm wondering yeah. if they even would have guaranteed themselves, perhaps. They might have done if Frankfurt are the ones in the um, in third I think place. It just depends on the other results because I think Sporting are on what? Six points now. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 I think. All Spurs can do, just win the next two games and see what happens from there. I think they might need a point potentially in the just final game. Sure, yeah. But yeah, I think I think even Clement Longley said it in his post-match uh, interview with Spurs play that basically the object is clear now. Just win the next two Champions League home games and then see where they are after that. But I think if they win position to qualify, but then Marseille away final game will be a tough one. Marseille themselves could need to win that to go through. So, yeah, he's yeah. going to be. Uh, I think it'll go right down to the wire. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Shall we discuss Brighton then? I know we've already touched on Brighton a bit. Uh, in terms of the right wing back position, then this is a major, major talking point at the moment. Uh, no Emerson as he's suspended for the next three games. Matt Doherty, Jed Spence, or even Perisic, or maybe even Dane Kulisewski, if he's back. <laughs> oh, it's such a tough one, isn't it? It's obviously everyone will be well aware of what you said about Jed Spence when I asked out in um, Frankfurt. It really doesn't sound like you're going to see Jed Spence anytime soon. Um, although that's the thing, I did ask about minutes. I wasn't saying it'd start games. I was suggesting that you know it could come on. It could maybe even just get minutes towards the end of games. I still would love to see him give Jed Spence a chance. But again, he quite validly said Conte that you know I see training sessions, and he's clearly alluding to the fact that in training he doesn't believe he's there yet, which is of course his right. Um, and yeah, and then he kind of unfortunately took a bit of a brought Matt Doherty down with him in saying that yeah he's um, he's uh, not at the level he was at all whatsoever. And then unfortunately ran two sentences together in copy. It looked like saying I'm not stupid. I don't want to lose, which sounded like he was talking about Matt Doherty. But to be fair, there was a slight pause. I think he was just talking about his decision making in games. Um, Ah, oh, do you know what? I think if it any, any other part of the season, the person he trusts the most as his next kind of in line outside the eleven is Ryan Sessegnon. So I would have thought he'd bring in Ryan Sessegnon and play even Perisic on the right. But my thing with that is you're playing a 33-year-old in three games in seven days. That is a big old push. And I do even think I wondered whether Perisic was game-managing himself in Frankfurt so as not to pull anything and extend himself too far. Um, maybe, maybe with the realisation or knowledge that he's going to play against Brighton, perhaps that's what it is. Personally, I think he probably has to trust Matt Doherty and hope, because it's a vicious circle for poor old Matt Doherty, or Matthew, as Antonio <laughs> likes to call him. Um, if he gets the game time, he becomes sharper. But he's not going to get a game time. But like you're saying with Brian Hill, but if he's not, because I was told that apparently on international duty, I didn't see it, he was really quite poor, so I was told. Um, but it's a, such a tough one, isn't it? Like I say, personally, I'd love to see Jed Spence given a go. I do think he's such a dynamic fullback that it would be a, a, a really good game. But then I guess... A tough away game against Brighton, fourth place, looking to come into third. Is that where you throw in a 22-year-old kind of newcomer to the league 
uh, probably not, I guess. I think it has to be Matt Doherty because I wouldn't run Perisic into the ground. You risk an injury. Um, I guess Emerson can play next week, can't he, against Frankfurt. He's available to play in that. Um, and then obviously you've got uh, Everton. You know, probably can experiment in that game. Oh, no, I'm okay. joking. <laughs> <laughs> I'm joking. Um, it is. It's kind of a jigsaw, isn't it? And you've got to find the right pieces to put into all these places because the matches are so different and there's such different opposition as well. Um, I think it's probably going to have to be Matthew Doherty um, and hopefully finds himself again, just finds that rhythm um, and then that really solves the problem for Conte because I will say it until I'm absolutely kind of bored of saying it. But the Conte system relies on the wing-backs being attacking and auxiliary strikers. And if you don't have two players in both those roles doing that, the system breaks down and it all looks a bit turgid and everyone says, oh, it's boring football. But it's not when those wing-backs are flying down that pitch. We've seen them at previous clubs have remarkable wing-backs doing great things. We've seen, we know what Perisic can do when he's flying as well. And if they can have that on the right-hand side as well, the whole thing will click together. And everyone will be talking about the amount of goals that Spurs are scoring and how great and dynamic they look on uh, flying down the flanks and the goals for Sonny and Kane in the middle. And it would look great. He's just got to make a different decision for me on that right wing-back slot. Um, and if it is Matt Doherty gives him that answer, then fantastic. If it is Jed Spence, just as just as great, because um, it will have mean that he'll have convinced Conte. I am intrigued to see what happens if Spence is given a go and does really well. You know, does Conte say, does Conte have to kind of say, oh, yeah, he's still not ready? Or does he say, oh, it's because of the work that I've done with him that we've got this out of him and all that, which is normally the way managers go. Uh, because if he plays really well, let's say, in the Carabao Cup against Forest, if he were to give, be given that game, and then he's dropped for the next game. Fans in the go mad. <laughs> they go absolutely <laughs> mad. Um, and I just wonder, you know, whether Conte is going to pin everything he's got to Emerson Real because as much as I like Emerson Real as a person and what he does defensively and his attacking movement, I don't know if I'd be wanting to pin everything and my p potential relationship with the fans on Emerson Royale. Um, yeah, we'll see. We'll see. I can see, I think Cess will come in at left wing back, no matter yeah, what, I this week. So. I just, I don't know if he'll start Perisic there, because he did that against Leicester, didn't he? And didn't that basically send a real clear message to Matt Doherty and uh, Jed Spence at that time that if Emerson's not in the team, then Perisic can go a right wing back. But in terms of having not rotated after the North London derby and kept the same team, then you're thinking, well, he's got to make changes. And I, I hope Matt Doherty gets a go because he was excellent last season from mid-February on, onwards. And it was just such a shame he got that you no know, season ending knee injury. Uh, Aston Matty, Villa Cash. Matty Cash has something to add. <laughs> he just absolutely... Yeah. Not only stopped him flying in that game, but he stopped him flying just in his kind of Spurs career. Yeah, he was playing so, so well at, at that point. And yeah, I mean, it's always going to take a, a player time to get back to the best from uh, an injury. But he, he's just not had the minutes on the pitch and that's what, what is needed. So I hope he gets a go uh, from the start. I don't think it'll be Jed Spence. I think... Conte's made it clear. He made it clear on Monday when you were speaking to him in Germany in the press conference. I I asked him about, I think it was before the Fulham game, and basically he was saying exactly the same. That he must he, he's one, one for the... Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. He's like the gentleman <laughs> fan appreciation society. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He, well, I mean, he said that he's certainly one for the future, but now not at the moment. Uh, the thing is, more worry is for Spence. You, you're probably looking at the Forest game for him to start, but then Matt Doherty won't have played a lot of minutes potentially. So is he going to be the one who starts at Forest? Jed Spence might have to wait till the FA Cup game in, in January. It's... I guess if Doherty plays the next three games that Emerson's out of, that's probably enough time for him, isn't it? For then 
Spencer that's playing the Carabao. That's if Doherty plays. True. I mean, he might just put Perisic on the right in the, the league games when Emerson's missing. But yeah, I think I think I'm with everyone. I think you just want to see him get game time. Uh, just rotate. <laughs> just rotate. <laughs> the wing back is the most demanding role in the team. I have no idea why Emerson Royale started 17 games in a row. Um, or 18, maybe it was. Yeah, well, I thought it was going to be an ever-present, to be honest, all season until he dropped him for the Leicester game. Uh, but obviously, can't now because of that red card. Uh, yeah, rotation. But I think he'll say an awful lot to Doherty and Spence if it's Perisic in the team yeah. against Brighton on the right. So, yeah, we'll we'll have to wait and see. Uh, I think one thing what Tottenham do need, especially after last Saturday at Arsenal and then Tuesday in Frankfurt, you just want not only three points, but you want the performance to go with it. But that's going to be really, really hard. It's it's, uh, the Amex, because it's a place that they've struggled in uh, recent years. I think it's three years on from uh, the 3-0 defeat when obviously Hugo Lloris got injured early on. Terrible, terrible day. They've just not had the best of luck, have they, at the Amex? No. No, they really haven't. It's a place where I'm trying to remember many games that I've gone there and thought, oh, Spurs are really comfortable in this. They've just never looked comfortable whatsoever. Um, I remember going there one January or February game when it was probably the coldest I've been covering a Premier League game ever. Um, Covered other non-league games way in the past that were colder, but this for a Premier League game was properly chilly. Um, And so, yeah, I'm... uh, it's 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 interesting because essentially Spurs have taken one of the players that gave Spurs a lot of problems in Basuma, but I think Brighton have just shown how adaptable they are. You know, Graham Potter's gone and they haven't really missed a step. They've they've really kind of kept the momentum going very well. Um, you know, in different circumstances, could have been in Liverpool as well, um, and obviously still came back and 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 took that that point as well. So they are going to be incredibly tough opposition. Um, obviously, I think it was Morpay used to score a few, and some other clubs nicked him, haven't they? He's gone there. Um, some Merseyside type club up there. Um, yeah, uh, I, I'm first off, I want to see what Conte does with Spurs, <laughs> then after that, I'll see how Brighton do. Um, because there's so much uh, that would obviously completely understandable why we don't have a press conference today and then obviously the terrible news about Giampiero Ventroni but it would have been interesting in the press conference to have kind of understood where Conte's head was at with the team and selections and he probably would have told us whether he was going to rotate quite a bit as well so oh my goodness can you imagine if he puts out the same ten, uh, same nine players outfield players apart from Emerson it was just I mean, he may well do that because um, he you know after that press conference in Frankfurt, we kind of all started to think, I feel like he's maybe not going to make any changes. And actually, as it was, he didn't. But we didn't really believe that. Everyone in their predicted teams made some changes. Um, and then it was like, wow, it's gone with the same 11. Fair enough. Yeah. Before we get on to a bit more Brighton stuff, obviously, uh, we're sponsored by NordVPN. Ali, do you want to mention, obviously, the benefits of using NordVPN? Yeah, of course. Yeah, it's... Um, Again, uh, you know, anyone that's heard me say this before, um, I know they obviously sponsor us, but I was already using their product before because it's actually is very helpful for a lot of things other than making uh, your any of your devices very secure when you're using things like public Wi-Fi and stuff like that. It prevents uh, anyone else getting in there and taking stuff that you don't want it to be taken off of your devices, whether it be a tablet, laptop, phone, whatever. Um, you can also use it to... Uh, increase your scope is probably the best way to put it of of what you can access and view and see and and do with your uh, devices so let's say for instance when i was out in it was lisbon um we didn't have any screens to be able to watch replays in the stadium um but normally i wouldn't be able to watch the game i think it was on bt wouldn't be able to watch that on my um phone because i'm in a foreign country However, I was able to access the thing that I subscribed to because you can just very cleverly switch your phone to thinking it's in the UK. And likewise, 
flip that around and you can watch others. Let's say you subscribe to a streaming service over here. You can watch the a foreign version of that streaming service abroad and register with them because you can make your devices believe that they're in another country. It's all very clever and, and you can obviously watch sports stuff from other countries and and whatever you want to register and pay for that. It's 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 a very clever um, it's kind of piece of software, very easy to use as well. And yeah, yeah, it certainly helped me out a lot in my job, but also in personal things and, and just being able to watch shows and TV and stuff like that as well. So uh, there's loads of benefits, honestly. I, I would imagine people should go and look at the website and look at the full list of benefits because I'm just rattling some off the top of my head there. But I know you've got an offer for them, Guesty, as well, if anyone wants to look at it further. Yeah, you can grab your exclusive NordVPN deal by going to nordvpn.com forward slash goldguest to get a huge discount off your NordVPN plan plus free threat protection plus one additional month for free. It's completely risk-free with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee. Right, going back on to Brighton, obviously Tottenham away from home. Is Tottenham's away form a concern for you at the yes. moment? I think it's just the one win this season at Nottingham Forest. Definitely, definitely. Conte's kind of admitted that as well um, before and after the game. It just seems to be a little bit of a mental block at the moment. Um, they haven't scored an away, uh, sorry, a goal from open play in the last four away games either. Just that Harry Kane penalty at the Emirates. It's, yeah, something's not quite right there. And, and it's almost like it was put to him, I think it was Mike Walters um, from the Mirror put to him before the game. Is it like noisy stadiums? Is it tough atmospheres? And don't forget, that was something that Spurs were renowned for being very good at. You know, we saw those big European nights that they've had away from home. But you look at those, especially when you look in Europe in recent years, uh, Pesos de Ferreira, Royal Antwerp under Mourinho, uh, Moura, of course, under Conte. They've had some shock. Middlesbrough in the FA Cup as well. Um, they've had some absolute nightmares against teams they shouldn't be losing to just because there was a bit of shouting and some noisy fans and they just weren't up for it enough. And I think, you know, you've seen this again this season. They've had some tough games. Obviously, Chelsea and West Ham are going to be tough games away, whatever. But, you know, games that they weren't able to win. Um, it is it's uh, it is a little bit of a thing at the moment. Obviously, yeah, the Forest game they won. But this is a, yeah a big one for them this weekend because I know it's still early in the uh, season, but Brighton can come level with points with Spurs if they win this game. Obviously, Brighton four, Spurs third. Um, and this is the thing. It's like we really – it's difficult to go overboard on Spurs when they are third in the Premier League and second in their Champions League group. <laughs> it's like they really are kind of – if this is their bad spell, great. You know, we should all have a bad spell that's as good as this. Um, but yeah, still things haven't quite clicked. And I think away from home, enormously, that's the case. Um, and yeah, no no time better than the present to start fixing that. I have had some really tough away games, though, uh, so far this True. season, especially, especially in the Premier League, when you look at Chelsea at ground where they've really, really struggled in what since the Premier League started 30 years ago. Uh, West Ham's always a tough one. They're always up for the game against Spurs, and then the North London derby last Saturday at, at the Emirates. And you know, Frankfurt certainly not an easy place to go and win at uh, as well. I mean, you saw what the atmosphere was like there. They really get behind the team, and yeah, the, the need to get a win under the belts away from home, but. Certainly not going to be straightforward at the Amex, as, as I was saying. It's a place they've had a, a really uh, the Premier League, I think, in 2017. Some really bad for performances as well. The 3-0, what we mentioned. The 1-0 defeat the year after when Jose was manager. But they did win there last season. I think it was 2-0, wasn't it? Uh, Romero and Kane with the goals. Yeah. Uh, yeah just need a performance and need to get the points on the board away from home because there's some tough away games coming up as well. Manchester United, uh, Marseille as well, and then I think it's Bournemouth at the end of October and then Forest in the Cup uh, the start of November. So, yeah, fingers crossed they will be able to get 
you know, points on the board away from home, get the performances in, you know, just get back to the form they were showing towards the end of the last season. So it's just like chalk and cheese at the moment. They're just like so far away from those levels. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. It's like I say though, it is so weird. It's like they're managing to get these points on the board really without flying. And I do think other teams are going to have sticky periods and they're not going to pick up points. Um, and hopefully this will benefit Spurs. Um, yeah, it's just about getting the the rhythm right between the team. I do think, as much as he doesn't really seem to want to make changes, I do think making changes and rotating players will also benefit the players that come out of the team because they'll be fresher. And it's not just a, like a physical thing. It's also mental fatigue they can have as well. And I think we saw that with Sonny. I don't think Sonny was knackered in terms physically, but just to be able to come out of the game and not have to worry about this and worry about that and what he was going to do and he looked so free when he came on against Leicester and, and obviously just absolutely blitzed the game. Um, even like I was interested to see that Fraser Forster did quite a, um, a kind of an in-depth warm-up of his own to, after Lloris had gone inside at Frankfurt before the game started. And I don't think I've ever seen that, the, the backup keeper get a proper session. And I just wondered to myself, were they deliberately putting him between the sticks just for a while because it was quite noisy at that point? with the thinking that maybe in one of the coming games he's going to get some game time just to give Larice a little bit of a, a rest because that may be why Larice is making some silly mistakes because he's just constantly playing. Um, and, you know, we've said this in the past. I think when Larice came back from that, that break you spoke about earlier, the elbow um, at Brighton, I don't think we've seen a better Larice than that period when he came back after having been out for some months. And that is, I think, because his brain and everything was completely fresh. There was no hang-ups over anything. There was no mental fatigue. Um, and I wonder, just taking him out the fire lung for a, a time, it, he, you know, everyone would know he's not being dropped. Just literally having a moment's rest. And it may it'd probably be the Forest game, I'd imagine. But you I do wonder whether you see one game in the coming ones before that where he also gets a bit of a rest. Because... Forster is not a bad goalkeeper. Forster played 24 games last season for Southampton, 19 in the Premier League. This is not someone who's going to come in with no knowledge of what he's doing. Um, so, yeah, I think that will be key as well. The moment Conte starts to trust some of these players, they might just answer some of the questions that he's kind of posed about them. Um, because, yeah, I, I don't think demanding a bigger squad, well, not demanding, but saying he needs a bigger squad right now <laughs> when he's using essentially 12 players or so, um, it will strike the right note with with people. Yeah. How many changes you reckon he'll go for then? I mean, do you think he'll just be the one <laughs> right wing back or do you think he'll uh, be a couple? Well, it's like I say, I think it's what he decides about the Frankfurt game. If he decides the Frankfurt one is the one he wants to rotate a bit more in, then maybe. But then I guess, like we say, you, you win that Frankfurt game, you are suddenly kind of taking control of things, I think, uh, quite a bit. Uh, obviously, it depends on the sporting game, but you are kind of pulling away then those two teams would be from the other two. Um, I would probably, I think he'd probably would stick with back three. Maybe Davies for Longley. I guess you could bring him in to start in that kind of game. I think Basuma has to come in. I think Doherty comes in. Um, Sess as well so yeah, even that you're looking at four um, yeah I think so and then you 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 maybe go to a 3-5-2 just to be able to give one of those strikers a rest a lot depends on Kuzetsky of course and, that, and how where he's at Conte not really seeming to know whether he'd be fit for um, what was it he kind of said I don't know if he'll be fit for Brighton or for the Frankfurt home game so we'll see what's happened with him but yeah, I'm going to go with th three for now. Yeah, uh, I think you might be right around that number. I'd like to see Oliver Skip get a run out at some point, uh, get yeah. a good amount of minutes under his belt because, you know, he was someone Conte was raving about last season and his performances were really, really good. It's just been just so, so unlucky uh, with the injuries and... He's going to have to rotate at some point. I don't know when it's going to be. I think it's going to have to be, you know, 
next couple of games, really, because some tough games coming up. The Everton one, especially, they're playing well at the moment. Uh, Manchester United away is always uh, a tough one. And I, you know, I wouldn't the, put it past Conte to put Skip in instead of Basuma. <laughs> yeah. I wouldn't put it past him. Yeah, I don't, I don't think that'll go down too well with uh, a number of Tottenham fans who are absolutely desperate to see Basuma play. But yeah, yeah I just think just. Are you saying just to give people a breather and then they can come in with, you know, a bit more of a clear mind in, in the next game? But then, yeah, all eyes are just going to be on the team sheet at 4.30pm on Saturday evening. Right, I think we'll leave that there for today's latest episode of Gold and Guest Talk Tottenham. We'll be back next week to reflect on the Brighton and Frankfurt games and then look ahead to the big one against Everton at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. So as ever, thank you for listening to Football.London and just keep with us for all your latest Tottenham news. Grab your exclusive NordVPN deal by going to nordvpn.com forward slash gold guest to get a huge discount off your NordVPN plan plus free threat protection plus one additional month for free. It's completely risk-free with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee.